Hello, and welcome to the teaching ministry of Impact Family Church. For more information, including service times and directions, or to find out more about us, you can visit our website at www.impactfamilychurch.com. We trust you'll be blessed by today's message. Last week, we closed with, uh, well, not too long before we closed, I don't know, I might have started with this. I jumped around a little last week, but I made this statement again, I think, that I'd made before. You know, we've, we're praying, but all of our prayers for our nation will be of no, no effect and will be of no lasting good if we don't consecrate ourselves individually, every one of us, to being salt and light in this world. Because the gospel and the preaching of the gospel and the sharing of the gospel and the accepting of the gospel is the only thing that really matters in life. When we go to heaven, the moment that trumpet sounds, we will never again remember Democrat or Republican. The only thing of value will be what we did for the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen? So that has to be central above everything. Amen. Now, we pointed out that God does honor nations that honor him. And so we're not saying that those things are not important. We're just saying that everything has to be in its place. Everything has to be in its right priority. Amen? And so we were looking at this passage, and let's go over there again today to 2 Timothy. I've already uh, quoted most of it while praying here, but uh, excuse me, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, and let's read the first four verses. He said, Therefore I exhort first of all that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And then he identifies especially for kings. Well, we don't have a king, but we have Uh, a constitutional republic and we have elected officials for kings and all who are in authority that we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Notice that the primary, most fundamental Desire of God and purpose of God is that all men be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. That's the most important thing. That's what God is 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 uh, purposed. That's what He has purpose. That's what He's pursuing. That's what we ought to be pursuing. But there are certain things that that cooperate with that or help to bring that about. And evidently, because of the context and the flow here, what goes on in government has an impact, either positive or negative, to the preaching and the acceptance of the gospel. And so before he said that God desires all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth, he said something just before that is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Well, what is good and acceptable? in the sight of God our Savior. Well, that prayers, 
supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. And you could say, I don't think that be, you'd be wrong in, in it's implied at least, especially for kings and all who are in authority. The English Standard Version says those in high positions. We're, supposed, we're especially to pray for kings. Those would be in the highest places of authority and then all who are in high positions. That Why? That we might lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Is it the will of God that we lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. This word reverence in my, in my Bible, the margin says dignity. Is that the will of God? Listen, don't, don't, don't uh, listen to people. And I know they're well, well intended. But there are people today that you will hear say something along the lines of, uh, you know, the church has suffered persecution. And... Uh, the church, it's, a lot of times it's, its light is brightest during times of intense persecution. The church rises during times of persecution. Well, there is some truth in that because anytime the devil starts his stuff, God just, God, God's not just going to leave the church alone. So even if there was persecution and even if, if the church uh, was disfavored in, in our culture and so forth and we had to, had to experience real, serious, biblical perse- you know, persecution as we've seen in the Bible or throughout history, the church is still the triumphant church. It's never going away. It's never going under. It'll never be defeated. Neither will you nor I. So though that is true, the, the, the implication a lot of times it, by some of these well-meaning preachers is that we ought not be so concerned about maintaining our status quo and our good way of life because, you know, other generations haven't that and had that. And other places in the world today, people are suffering terrible persecution and shame on us for wanting it so well and so nice and having things easy. Well, that's, you know, that might sound good, but that's not scriptural. Because he said right here that leading a a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. If you look at history, when the church has gone through a time of persecution, they didn't stay in that route, in, in in that situation. They came out of that and they came into a time of, of a peaceable life in, in uh, godliness and dignity. God, God brings the church out of that. He's not in, it is not his intention that we give up a peaceable life, that we give up dignity and freedom. That's not the will of God. If it was the will of God to, to grant freedom in the beginning, it's the will of God that we maintain it. We don't do it out of fear. We do it out of, out of, uh, of, of obedience and we do it out of, of honoring what God's already done. Well, praise the Lord. A lot of people just get, you know, a little sideways. Don't look at things according to the scriptures. That we might lead a quiet 
and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior. Amen. And so we, we've prayed about, about that. And I know that uh, there are uh, some people here that are doing a lot of praying. I have no, no doubt about that. I probably suppose that there is a certain number of people who aren't doing a whole lot of praying. But uh, today is a time of prayer. Amen. Everybody needs to be serious. Go over with me to Matthew 16. None of these scriptures are going to be new to you. Obviously, they're in the Bible. They're not new. But you know what I mean. Matthew 16, verse number 18. And I say to you that you are Peter. Of course, he was talking to the apostle Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And, and we know that's true, whether it's a time of persecution or a time of plenty. The enemy has, the enemy has a, a tactic for every time. He has, the enemy is constantly scheming. He is constantly trying to prevail against the church. He has, he has one tactic, you might say, during times of persecution, and that is the persecution itself. He has different tactics during times of peace, quiet, and dignity, dignified times. He uses different tactics. His tactic it, it, during times that, that we've known in, in the last few hundred years, uh, his, his tactic is complacency. So we have to be on guard because, because he's trying to prevail against the church all the time, but Jesus said he won't, he won't be able to. He said, the gates of hell, that's the kingdom of darkness, shall not prevail against the church. But then he gives us keys to making sure this, this happens the way he said it would happen. We have to cooperate with him if we're going, if we're going to keep the gates of hell from prevailing against the church, we're going to have to do what he said to do. Because if we don't, to the degree that people do not obey the Bible, the, the enemy very much will prevail against the church. But Jesus gave us this promise and this prophecy, he will not prevail because I'm giving you these keys. Well, let's take the keys, Amen. So I give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. The new century version says on this rock I will build my church and the power of death will not be able to defeat it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Now notice the way the new century says this. The things you don't allow on earth will be the things that God does not allow. And the things you allow on earth will be the things that God allows. God allows what we allow. God allows what we allow. And God does not allow what we do not allow on earth. 
Now, I was with a, a pastor this week, and we were, uh, he was visiting with Pastor Angela and me. And uh, we were driving into Gainesville, and we got something to eat on Thursday night. We were driving back to the house. And uh, this pastor's wife was saying that her son, I think he's 21, uh, he was asking her, well, Mom, you know, how do we pray about the situations going on in, in our nation right now when it comes to our faith? He said, because I've heard you teach and, and I know that it's true that uh, faith is dependent on knowing the will of God. When you know something to be God's will, then you have faith for it. And he said, I understand using faith for things that belong to me. And, and, and I teach the same thing. And this pastor and his wife has taught the same thing as well. That we, we have certain rights and privileges that belong to us in Christ Jesus. We don't have to pray about those things. We pray the simple prayer of faith. And we claim what belongs to us. And we just go our way rejoicing, thanking God for it. We don't have to continue to pray for that. But this young man was asking his, his mom. He said, but what about these other areas in our nation where, where we don't see actual you know, covenant rights so much, particularly when it's, we're praying for other people. How, how, do we, how do we use our faith? What, what he wasn't understanding is there are different kinds of prayers. The prayer of faith is one kind of prayer. Supplication and intercession, it, they, these two kinds of prayers are not the prayer of faith. They involve faith, because everything we do involves faith. If we're living right, the just shall live by his faith. So faith is involved in, in a lot of things. But there's a difference between the prayer of faith and these other kinds of praying. They, they operate on different principles and with different rules apply. And so when it comes to the things that are going on in our nation, you might say, well, I don't see in the Bible a promise uh, that we're going to have a certain kind of government or certain things are going to happen or certain things are not going to happen. You know, where, where, where's the promise of God? Again, you're confusing uh, trying to apply the rules of the prayer of faith with the prayers of supplication, intercession, and, and, and so forth. My faith in, in what we're praying about today comes right out of this verse. Jesus said, the things you don't allow on earth will be the things that God does not allow and the things you allow on earth will be the things that God allows. Faith comes by hearing this. See, this isn't faith for, for one of our covenant rights like that was granted to us you know, in the new birth and was made real in, in, in the new birth, and we were born into certain covenant rights. But this, this is something beyond ourselves. He said, the things that you do not allow to happen will be the things God does not allow to happen. And on earth, well, that would apply to anything on earth. Now, we have to know generally, obviously, we have to know the general will of God uh, and what's right and wrong. But things that are right and things that are wrong, uh, even if they're not part of our covenant rights per se, because they involve the nation and involve other people, if it's right, we can believe God on this verse 
and refuse to allow things to go on that are not right. Because Jesus said right here, the things you do not permit will be the things God does not permit. And the things which you allow will be the things which God allows. So we have the right based on this scripture and other scriptures to pray about things that are beyond our particular own lives and the covenant that we have for God with God and the things that belong to us as Christians. This reaches beyond that. So there is faith involved on our part. Faith in what Jesus said that we have the right to do. We have the right to bind and the right to lose. In in fact, we have the responsibility. Because he said the things that you allow, I will allow. So if things that are going on, if things are going on that shouldn't be going on, then are we allowing it? If we've allowed it, then that's a big responsibility on our part. We're not, we are not to allow things that are not good. Good is good, bad is bad. Good is never bad and bad is never good. There's no, it's not hard to understand. It's real simple. We are not supposed to permit bad things. We are not supposed to allow things that are contrary to the Bible. We're not supposed to allow it. That's why we, that's the, that's the purpose of us being the salt of the earth. So it is our responsibility to have influence beyond our own personal lives. It is our responsibility as Christians to first and foremost, of course, to live honorably before God and obey him and his will for our lives and obey the Bible. But we're also supposed to have influence in this world, and we are to stop things that are going on in the world that ought not be going on. And we're supposed to, uh, by our by our active faith in God, as an act of our of our activism, spiritual spiritual activism, we are supposed to allow and permit certain things that maybe the enemy's not wanting to happen. We're supposed to allow it to happen. We're supposed to take our place and say, "No, devil, this is going to happen." Good is going to happen. We, do, we are going to enforce. We've been given the keys. And, 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 and it operates by the name, the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus is the thing that turns that lock and opens that door, amen. So we have the, we have the responsibility of not permitting things that shouldn't happen, not permitting the bad, but we also have the authority and the responsibility and the God-given right to, to decree and allow things to happen that ought to happen that aren't happening. Well, amen. Praise the Lord. Now go with me over to Ezekiel 28. Ezekiel 28. And uh, let's real quickly read... uh, We'll read a total of 16 verses, but we're going to start in verse number 11. Now, as we read this, you will see right away that it opens in verse 11, says, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me, that is to Ezekiel, and this is what the word of the Lord said to him. 
And he said in verse 12, son of man, take up a lamentation for the king of Tyre and say to him, thus says the Lord God. Well, if you stop right there, you would think that God is talking about an earthly king, the, the man who was the king over, the, the, over Tyre at the time. But as you read this, you'll see that this couldn't possibly be talking about a human being. He said, thus, thus says the Lord, you were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Well, right away in these verses, you see this couldn't be talking about a man because there's no man is the seal of perfection. Uh, nor was he in Eden, the garden of God. He wasn't that old. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, topaz, diamond, beryl, onyx, jasper, sapphire, turquoise, and, and, and emerald with, with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. So this is a created being who was in Eden, the garden of God. And then he goes on to, to identify him. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. By the, by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. Therefore, I cast you as a profane thing out of the mountain of God and I destroyed you, you, O covering cherub, from the midst of the fiery stones. He didn't destroy him in the sense that he didn't exist anymore. He destroyed him from the midst of the fiery stones. In other words, cast him out. Well, uh, this is talking about, actually, this is talking about Lucifer. Only he calls him the king of Tyre. Why would, why would he be referring to Lucifer who was a, 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 a cherub? And it says that because of the abundance of his trading, it, it seems to me that, that one of the uh, characteristics and, and graces that had been given to Lucifer, one of the things he operated in was commerce and wealth. And he says, because by the abundance of your trading, you became filled with violence within and you sinned. And he was lifted up in pride, the Bible says. And therefore he was cast as a profane thing out of the mountain of God. So this is talking about Lucifer, but he calls him the king of Tyre. Tyre was an actual city. Now go over to chapter, uh, same chapter, look at verse one. Before he said this to the king of Tyre, who was actually Lucifer, he said this to the prince of Tyre. The word of the Lord came to me saying, son of man, say to the prince of Tyre, thus says the Lord God, because your heart is lifted up. Notice, now he's talking about a man here. Notice how this man's uh, attributes corresponds to the devil's. How he's got some of the same attributes. But it's a, he's a man though. Because your heart is lifted up and you say, I am a God. I sit in the seat of gods in the midst of the seas. Yet you are a man. 
and not a God, though you set your heart as the heart of a God. Behold, you're wiser than Daniel. Evidently, he had said that. There is no secret that can be hidden from you. With your wisdom and with your understanding, you have gained riches for yourself. You gathered gold and silver into your treasuries. By your great wisdom and trade, you have increased your riches. And your heart is lifted up because of your riches. Therefore, thus says the Lord, because you have set your heart as the heart of a God, behold, therefore, I will bring strangers against you, the most terrible of the nations. And they shall draw their sword against the beauty of your wisdom and defile your splendor. They shall throw you down into the pit and you shall die the death of the slain in the midst of the seas. Will you still say before him who slays you, I am a God, but you shall be a man and not a God in the hands of of him who slays you. You will die the death of the uncircumcised by the hand of aliens for I have spoken, says the Lord God. What the word of the Lord through Ezekiel what he said to this prince of Tyre actually came to pass. Every bit of this came to pass. He was destroyed and slain by the sword of, of, of his enemies and aliens, just like, just like the Lord said he would. Thing I, and, and so all of that is, is just background. thing I want you to see is there was, a, there was a man governing the city of Tyre, but he was being influenced by the devil. The devil was the controlling uh, uh, power over this man's life and was dominating the nation through this man or the city through this nation or through this man, excuse me. He was, the devil was dominating the people through this man and what was going on on earth was being controlled not just by the man but the person that, that was influencing the man. Well, these things still go on today. Now go with me over to Daniel chapter 10. Daniel chapter 10. It's the next book over, Daniel. And uh, verse one says, in the third year of Cyrus, king of Persia, a message was revealed to Daniel whose name was called Belteshazzar. And uh, I said, I, Daniel, verse two, was mourning three full weeks, 21 days. I ate no pleasant food, no meat or wine came into my, my, my mouth, nor did I anoint myself at all till three whole weeks were fulfilled. Now he goes on to say some other things. And uh, verse 10 says, suddenly a hand touched me, which made me tremble on my knees and on the palms of my hand. And he said to me, this this person that touched him said, Oh, Daniel, man greatly beloved, understand the words that I speak to you and stand upright. For I have now, for I have now been sent to you. While he was speaking this word to me, I stood trembling. Then he said to me, Do not fear, Daniel, for from the first day that you set your heart to understand, And to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. But the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. Now, don't get all hung up on which is the king and which is the prince. That's that's not a key. 
Sometimes the, the spirit, sometimes the earthly leaders referred to as a prince, sometimes the earthly leaders referred to as king, sometimes the spiritual influence is referred to a prince or a king. So they're not consistent. He said, The prince, he said, From the time you set your heart to understand, that was 21 days before. And to humble yourself before your God, your words were heard, and I have come because of your words. Notice, as soon as Daniel began to pray and to seek God, to fast and separate himself unto the Lord and seek God, God sent this being, this, this was actually an angel, sent this, this archangel to him the very moment that he started. He said, and your words were heard, and I have come because of your words, but the prince of the kingdom of Persia withstood me. 21 days and behold Michael one of the chief princes came to help me for I had been left alone there with the kings of Persia notice that there was a there was over there is here it's talking about the kings of Persia but then the prince of Persia the king of the kings of Persia would be uh, 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 the earthly kings the prince of the kingdom of Persia was the ungodly spirit demonic spirit or angel that was affecting what was going on in Persia. And this, and this archangel said, from the very first day that you began to pray, your words were heard and I was dispatched. And I've come because of your words, but this ruling spirit that, that rules in the heavenly in the spirit realm over the kingdom of, of Persia withstood me 21 days. And behold, Michael, one of the chief princes came to help me. So he went on then to tell him what had the, the message. He went, out, went ahead and gave him the message that God gave him. The point I'm making is that Daniel was praying for uh, the future of the people of God. They were in captivity. They had been taken into captivity, Babylonian captivity. Uh, now other kings that had moved into the kingdom of Persia had overcome the kingdom of, uh, of, uh, uh, of the Babylonians and the people of, of Israel still in captivity. And if you go back to the ninth chapter, you'll find that, that uh, Daniel had begun to read the prophet Jeremiah. And he had found that, that uh, this time of dispersion was supposed to last 70 years and it was getting close to that time for 70 years for them to be restored back to their land. So he was praying about these things, fasting and praying and God sent this heavenly being with a message but this heavenly being was interrupted by another heavenly being but, a, but an evil spirit that withstood him. Now, understand that we're talking about Old Testament times before Christ came. So there, there's not everything ex works exactly the same today because Jesus has already put down principalities and powers and so forth. That doesn't mean we don't have to deal with them. We do. But I'm just saying not everything is like it was when Daniel experienced this. But there's a principle here. That even though we pray and we ask God and, and, and we make prayers and supplication and, and, and heartfelt prayers with fasting, that the, that the enemy will still try, try to withstand and, and, and hold off and, and offer opposition. But we're supposed to stand resolute and, and continue to, to pray and to speak the word and believe God. We're supposed to continue to not permit things that shouldn't happen. 
We're supposed to continue to allow things to happen maybe that aren't happening. We're supposed to, in the spirit realm, say, no, we're allowing that. This will take place. Good will take place. Good will be done. The right thing will be done. That's our job. It's what we're supposed to do. Amen. The only reason I brought up these two passages is to show you that there is opposition. Now go over to the New Testament and go back to Ephesians chapter 6. Like I said, these are scriptures you're familiar with, but it's good to put them in the right context. Ephesians chapter 6, verse number 10 says, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The wiles there, that word means uh, crafty schemes with the intent to deceive. Crafty schemes, crafty scheming with the intent to deceive, that is trickery. The devil is full of trickery. He, he has crafty schemes to deceive. Anything that's deceptive, that's done in secret to deceive and to trick people is of the devil. Well, praise the Lord, it is. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. In 1952, in a vision, uh, the Lord Jesus took this verse of scripture, verse number 12, and broke it down for Brother Hagen and told him in this vision that in verse number 12, where it talks about these different uh, evil uh, spirits and evil beings, he said that the apostle started with the weakest, the lowest level of evil spirit and then went up to the highest The principalities, he said, are the lowest kind. He said they're not very intelligent. They just do what they're told. They they are uh, uh, supervised by the, the powers. They're over the principalities and tell the principalities what to do. But over the powers are the rulers of the darkness of this world. And they're much more intelligent, much more uh, uh, sophisticated and, and, and are higher in, in authority in the kingdom of darkness. And Brother Hagin said that Jesus said this to him. He said, these three, the principalities, powers, and the rulers of the darkness of this world are the only spirits you will, you will have direct contact with And these are the ones you have to use your authority against and deal with them. He said, if you'll do that, if you'll take care of those, of this, of these three classes of, of evil spirits, Jesus said, I'll take care of the, of the, uh, uh, wicked spirits in the heavenly places. He said, I'll take care of them. You take care of these down here. Well, that's our job. Now, notice it says we wrestle. Now, in the King James and in in the New King James and other translations, this word is accurately translated. It means to wrestle. It's the word that was used in the the games, the Olympic games, where they wrestled. But obviously, it's it's using this word uh, in in a, in a, a, a symbolic way because we don't physically wrestle. 
And so people have had the idea, there's been a lot of, of teaching, particularly back in the 1990s, there was a lot of popular teaching on spiritual warfare. And people overemphasized this concept of warring against the devil and spiritual warfare. And they were just conscious all the time that, that we're in battle and we're fighting the devil and we've got to overcome the devil. And they had, you can see, uh, out, you can see how easy it would out of that kind of a mindset to come up with all kinds of ridiculous uh, uh, supposed methods of battling the devil. But they failed to see that we're not wrestling with them in the sense of, of personally or, or I should say directly engaging them and battling them and trying to defeat them. Because the word wrestle, in, in its, if, it's, if you take it literally, it would indicate that. But, it, but in light of, of Colossians, the verse we've already talked about this morning, Jesus spoiled principalities and powers, all of them. Jesus defeated the devil and all of the host of darkness, principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world, and, the, and spiritual wickedness in the heavenly places. Jesus defeated all of them. You say, well, why are they still here? Be That's another message. There is a reason for that. There's a reason they're still here. They don't have time to go into because it's five minutes till noon. But they're still here. They're here for a purpose. They're, they're, they're legitimately here. But they've been stripped of their ability to dominate the church because Jesus put them down. Therefore, we are not wrestling with them in the sense of directly combating them, trying to fight them. One translation, or actually two different translations where it says we wrestle, two different translations says our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and Excuse me, another translation says our contest is not against a flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of the world, and so forth. So that, that even though those are more paraphrasical, not as literal, uh, that gives a better sense because it, the literal use of the word wrestle would have us down in the trenches, you know, duking it out with the devil. We're not doing that. He's a defeated foe. Our struggle or our uh, uh, contest against these principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this world. Our struggle is in the arena of faith. We take our stand and we stand against these evil forces, but we, do, we don't do it from the standpoint of trying to defeat them. We do it from the standpoint of, of being delegated the authority that Jesus had and, and operating from his position of victory. We have partaken of his victory. So they are, like we sang this morning, they are, and, and Satan himself is under our feet. Our, positionally, we've been enthroned together with Christ and we, we have his authority. But because they're still here, we have to keep them in their place. And see, when the church doesn't keep them in their place, then they begin to, to exercise uh, influence in this world that, that they will exercise if we don't do something. If we don't take our stand, a stand of faith, and again, we're not duking it out. We're just taking the, the, the we fight the good fight of faith. What's a good fight? A good fight is a fixed fight. <laughs> a good fight is a fight where we're guaranteed to win. 
A good fight is a fight where, where our coach, the referee, and the owner of the, of the arena is all relatives. <laughs> they're, they, they're, all of that belongs to our dad. That's a good fight. Amen? We, we fight the good fight of faith, and we're supposed to take our stand in the realm of the Spirit. So a lot of, a lot of people during this, this, this time in the 90s and, and thereafter where people overemphasized this idea of spiritual warfare, they got, they got into the habit of praying against the devil Oh, we're going to get into intercession. We're interceding against it. We don't intercede against the devil because intercession is prayer. We don't, we don't talk to the devil in prayer. We don't, they, they, they had something called warring that they came up, men came up with this. It doesn't exist, but they, they did it. They were just playing games. They called it warring tongues where they prayed in tongues in spiritual warfare, and they, in other tongues, they're warring against the devil. No. It's just exactly what the devil wants you to do, is to start playing little games that doesn't have any scriptural foundation. No, all prayer is to our Father in the name of Jesus. I don't, I don't talk to the devil as though I'm talking to God. And I don't pray, how can I pray against the devil? My prayers are to God. So I make supplications, prayers, intercessions for kings, for all who are in high authority. But, but Paul said, before he said all of that, he said, for all men. So we pray for people that God will influence them that God will work it. But the problem is, is a lot of people we're praying for aren't very cooperative. <laughs> Have you ever noticed that? You ever notice that even Christians sometimes who ought to be cooperative aren't very cooperative. They're saying and doing things and acting in ways and have ideas that, that aren't right. And we need them to be right. We need them to straighten up and do right. <laughs> well, we're praying for them. And see, this is the difference in the prayer of faith and the prayers of supplication and intercession. We're praying to God on their behalf. We're praying for them, but we can't just, we can't just claim that a person's gonna do a certain thing, but by prayer and, and, and supplication and intercession, we do what James talks about. The fervent, effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man makes tremendous power available, dynamic in its working. What we do when we pray for people that we need to behave right. We need them to, to do the right thing. When we pray for them this way, we're giving God tremendous opportunities and, and advantage of, of helping them and ministering. See, God will, God will respond and bless you if you ask him to. If you ask God to help you, he'll help you. But if you're, if you're so dull spiritually and you don't know that you need help and you aren't asking him, I can ask God for you. God will help you because I ask him to. You can help other people by asking God on their behalf. Lord, would you do, am I messing up the lighting here? Let me get back up on my perch. <laughs> 
We can affect other people by getting God, invoking God's blessing and God's help. If, if, if let's say you were a person that was just not cooperative and you're not, and you don't know how to pray and you don't know what to do, but you have responsibility and, and, and a lot is uh, going to come out of what you do, and you're not you're not even aware of it. It'd be best for you to ask God for help. But God is so smart; He has given us the ability to ask. In in I can ask in your stead, and God will help you, and you don't even know He's helping you. Now I know that's true. Because when I was in rebellion, when I was away from God, when I was running as hard as I could away from God, didn't want anything to do with God, he started working and I wasn't asking him to. I hadn't asked him to. I was essentially saying, God, get out of my life. I mean, I went from one day dealing drugs and saying, God, get out of my life to the very next day I'm spellbound by the Bible. I'm looking at my Bible and it just started opening and I didn't ask him for that. Somebody else was asking for me. My mama and my daddy, my dad had been gone a number of years by this time. My mom was still alive and their prayers, they kept praying and I'm sure other people as well were praying. Other people were praying in the spirit, didn't even know they were praying for me. Though I didn't ask, somebody was asking for me and God worked. God managed to get me away from all of my crazy friends and all of the influences I had in Jacksonville and stuck me in a a little dive of a motel room. Wasn't that bad then, but it would be today. (laughs) A little budget motel room in in, uh, Brooksville, Florida. God was working all of that. He was the one that was responsible for getting me transferred down there. I didn't know it. God sent his angels and was influencing things with my company and moving people around and, and moved me over there where I could, where he could get me alone and quiet for a few minutes and, and stop being so dumb. And in one moment of weakness, <laughs> in one brief moment of weakness where I just stepped back from my insolence and my, and my arrogance and my rebellion, just for a minute, just relaxed in a moment, I turned on the TV and boom, Billy Graham. And I'm telling you that sword, that word sharper than a two-edged sword flew out of that TV and just hit me. I got my Bible out. Tears are running down my face and I'm thinking, I don't want to do this. The effective, fervent prayer of the righteous makes tremendous power available. Dynamic in its working. Glory to God. So that's what we're doing. Don't lose heart. Don't stop. Continue to pray. And then I'm I'm over a 
a minute. I think, I, I think my watch is wrong. I started early something. I want to say this. I have another verse we'll get to later, but the Lord impressed me of, of this. It has been for several days. Paul said, I exhort first of all that prayers, supplication, intercession, and giving of thanks be made for all men. Well, why would you be giving thanks? Because you know God's working through your prayers and supplications and intercession. You know he's working. That's what we're supposed to give thanks. Let's stand up and give thanks. Glory to God. At Impact Family Church, it is our desire to see you blessed through the power of the Word of God. We have been helping people to change their world for over 25 years through our dynamic ministries and teaching. If you are going to be in the North Central Florida area and are interested in attending our services or just want more information about us, you can visit us online at www.impactfamilychurch.com.